to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And today is an episode of Mama Mystery Headlines, but there's really only one headline to talk about. And it's a big one. And it's a big one. And we are your news anchors. Here's the here's the deal, okay? So I was not expecting a verdict to come out yesterday. I don't even think I was expecting it to come out today. So I kind of wrote this up really quick this morning. So this is going to be a quick summary of the the trial, the verdict, the sentence, and all that. But um, you know, bear with me. There's going to be some details that are left out just because this trial went on for six weeks, and we're the first to report on it quickly. Probably. I mean, one of the first, at least, for sure. One but, of the first. But I'm going to give you just a quick rundown of like the things that I found to be you know, really important that stood out to me. And I'm going to shut up, and I apologize for the ASMR little bit I've done in the past. I was told that I was breathing too heavy in an episode prior. <laughs> I'm going to try not to breathe this episode. That'd and be I great. was told that I was making noise. So I'm that dude. Love you. Get it on, girl. All right. So obviously, the big headline this week is that the verdict is in, in the Murdoch trial. If you're unfamiliar with this story, which I doubt you are, but we have covered it in multiple episodes, 75, 76, and 77, I think. Um, The Murdoch family is and has been a prominent family of lawyers in the South Carolina Low Country, which is about 65 miles south of Charleston. From 1920 to 2006, three Murdochs served as district attorneys consecutively. They're they're called solicitors, but we're going to, I mean, it's the same thing as a district attorney. But it really is unheard of for one family to have that much control over the legal system for that long. But these were district attorneys, the ones responsible for prosecuting crimes, okay? I want you to remember that. And as time went on, their power grew. The Murdochs were known as untouchable, getting away with just about anything. And they did get away with a lot until one story blew everything wide open. And that was when Alex's son, Paul, was involved in a boat crash that killed one of his friends, Mallory Beach. Now we go into a lot of detail on that particular story in one of those episodes that I mentioned. So if you want to familiarize yourself with that, you can go listen to those. This case, I just want to say, because I've said it in the past, it like grabbed my attention and I'm not a true crime person. Mm-hmm. So I've watched the HBO documentary on it mm-hmm. and started the Netflix one. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. This kid's crazy. This dude's just a gangster. Not but in a not cool in a way. good way. No, no, not in a cool way. This dude's a gangster. Like I'm not trying to make that sound cool. Yeah. Go ahead. So, all right. Anyway, Mallory's family ended up filing a wrongful death lawsuit against the Murdochs and it required Alec or Alex, we're going to say Alec just for the sake of this podcast, okay? But it required Alec to turn over financial statements. And around the same time, Alec's wife, Maggie, had hired a forensic accountant to review their finances. See, at the time, Maggie and Alec were living separately, and the future of their marriage was in question after she found stashes of pills in his computer bag. She became aware of bounced checks that Alec was writing. And it's been reported that she had met with a divorce lawyer as well. So now that Mallory's family was pursuing this wrongful death suit, all of these financial issues were about to come to light for the first time in a public forum. And a judge had scheduled a hearing for June 10th of 2021 to consider a motion to compel Alec to turn over his financial information. So you can imagine the pressure Alec was feeling knowing that all the money he'd been stealing from his law firm and clients was about to come to light. Mm -hmm. 
He had been stealing millions of dollars from insurance settlements that he helped procure, funneling the money to his own account rather than to the victims. One example was the case of Gloria Satterfield, his own housekeeper, who died under suspicious circumstances on the Murdoch's property, which... By the way, that is being investigated now as well. Her body was exhumed last year no because way. they're looking into why there was no autopsy performed or a coroner's report, even though it was deemed like natural causes. Because the story was she fell down the stairs, right? Yes, that she was that she possibly tripped over the dogs, and um, she ended up going to the hospital and dying later from a stroke that was, you know, allegedly due to the fall. But the the fact that the coroner was quick to just say it was natural causes. Is Makes alarming. you think that Alec paid him off. Yeah, or that they're just, they knew where the power lied. Yes. So Alec helped her kids with an insurance settlement that awarded them $4.3 million, but they never saw a single dime of it. And that is just one example of many. So three days before his financial crimes were about to come to light, his wife and child were shot dead on their property. On the night of June 7th, 2021, Alec alleged that he came home to find his wife and son shot badly after he had gone to visit his mom, who had um, Alzheimer's or dementia, and he insisted that he was never at the kennels and that he had a rock-solid alibi. So on September 4th, Alec attempted suicide by hiring Curtis Smith to shoot him on the side of the road to make it look like it was a drive-by shooting, all so that Buster could collect on a $10 million life insurance policy, Buster's his oldest son. Two days later, he released a public statement saying that he was resigning from his family's law firm so that he could enter rehab for his addiction to pills. And then meanwhile, the law firm also released a statement alleging that Alec had been misappropriating funds. This dude flushed his whole life and family's legacy down a toilet in like mm. a few weeks. Well, it was over the course of years that he was Correct, doing this, yeah. but in the course of months, it really just, the lid blew open. Yeah, it came to light. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. In November, the state's investigation into Alec's business dealings led to new indictments totaling 27 counts including breach of trust with fraudulent intent, obtaining a signature or property by false pretenses, money laundering, computer crimes, and forgery. And these crimes totaled nearly $4.9 million. The following month, more charges were added, bringing the total to 48 charges. The next month, 23 additional charges, bringing the total to 71. By July, more charges were added to include the scheme to commit suicide, and eventually the total number of charges brought against Alec Murdoch was over 100. But worst of all, in July of 2022, a grand jury indicted Alec Murdoch on double murder charges in the deaths of Maggie and Paul. The murder trial began on January 25th, and in the opening statements, the lead prosecutor, Creighton Waters, alleged that Alec's or Alec killed Maggie and Paul at close range with a shotgun and an AR-style rifle. So Paul was shot first. At the kennels, there's this line of cages, for lack of a better word. I don't know if you've ever seen a structure like this, but it's like this long, narrow structure, and there's kennels all side by side, right? And then on the end of that structure, there's a feed room that's about the size of a small closet. So Paul was shot in that closet, first in the chest. And the shooter possibly thought that 
that would have killed Paul, but as blood dripped from his arm to the floor, he made his way to the door frame of the feed room. And right outside that door, the shooter was possibly setting the shotgun down or in the midst of setting it down to exchange weapons and pick up the second gun that he intended to use on Maggie. But as Paul came through the door, I believe it started the sh- or startled the shooter as he was crouched down about to set that gun down. And then he re-aimed and shot Paul from a lower angle in the head, which caused the projectile to hit the top of the door, the door frame, and the ceiling. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the shooter being 5'2 or 5'3. But I think that this explains it really well because... He was crouched down. He was crouched down. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. And it makes sense, too, because of the way that Paul was found and where the projectile and everything was found. Mm -hmm. So, after Paul, the shooter switched guns. And at this point, Maggie was running towards Paul. She was on the other side of another structure that was next to the kennels. Mm And as she's running towards Paul, according to a pathologist, the shooter shot her in the abdomen with the AR-style rifle in the abdomen, which exited through, like, her buttocks, and then the top of her left thigh, which exited out the other side towards her back. She fell to all fours, and as she was on all fours, the shooter then walked behind her and shot her from behind, and that bullet went through her left breast and up through her neck and head. My God. And so there was question on, like, the angles, right, and implying that it had to be somebody short, but when you think of it that way, that she was shot first in the abdomen and then the thigh and then landed on all fours and was shot from behind, it makes sense that the angle would go through her breast and then up like her upper right, neck that, and into her head. That has so much more logic to it than saying this short person shot up. Mm-hmm, right. Um, so after she was on the ground, she was shot again one final time in the back of her head. Uh, so on February 1st, the state dropped a bomb that took many by surprise, which was that there was video from Paul's phone that placed Alec at the crime scene minutes before the murders took place. So I'm going to play for you the audio from that video. But just for context, Paul is recording one of the many dogs that were at the kennels because this dog, the way I understand it is that the dog had an issue with its tail or back end. So you see the dog, but you can hear Paul, Maggie, and Alec in the background. You don't see anybody else, but you can hear their voices. So I'm going to play it for you now. Get back. Get back. Quit, Cash. Come. Quit. Come here. Come here. Come here, Cash. Shit. Come here. Get Hey, he's got a bird in his mouth. Bubba. Hey, Bubba. That's a guinea. This is a chicken. Come here, Come here, Cash. Come here, Cash. Quit. So that's the video, and you can hear Paul talking to the dog. You hear Maggie in the background say, hey, it's got a bird in its mouth. I think it's a guinea or something like that. And Paul say, no, it's a chicken. Um, This came up during the trial, but you can also hear Alec in the background, and I can't quite make out what he's saying, and there's been conjecture over exactly what he says, because some people allege that at one point he says, 
Hey, bus, like Buster was there, Mm -hmm. but Buster was supposedly in Columbia, which is about two hours away at the time. Um, But regardless, you hear Alec's voice in the background. It's a distant sound, but it's undeniably him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the problem for the defense was that Alec originally told authorities that he was not near the kennels. He told dispatchers, he told police, he told detectives, he told anyone who would listen that he was never down there, that he was napping before he got up to go visit his mom. But this Snapchat video effectively disproves that alibi. Which is insane. So, because nobody knew this video existed, you told me last night, right? Right. So, I have been trying to find more information on exactly how this video came about and if the defense knew about it or not, because I would have thought that they would have had some sort of alibi alibi that corroborates this video before the trial started. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even hear about the video until the trial started. Um, but you know, part of me also wonders if maybe the defense knew about it and they were going to try to claim that it wasn't Alex's voice, but multiple witnesses, I think it was five got on the stand to say that is 100% without a doubt, Alec Murdoch. I'm a family friend. I've known them for years. 100% that is him. So I don't know if the defense just didn't expect that, but. So this dude just go and change his whole story then? Yes. In the midst of the trial. Did the attorneys know that he was going to change his whole story? I don't like, know. Like, did they have time to talk, do you think? I'm sure that they did. I don't know how that went, though. I mean, how how do you how do you fight that? That is like the one number one piece of evidence, in my opinion. And all your credibility is out the window. Oh, yeah. I mean, it already is because he's proven to be a liar, and we'll get into that, too. But I always wonder, though, and I've, I've said this to you before, I always wonder if people tell the attorneys the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, like, fascinated with it. I, I always wonder, like, do people walk into their attorney and say, listen, I killed them both and I need help creating an alibi and getting out of this? Mm-hmm. Or do they BS their attorney too? Because, I don't know, it's just interesting to me. Yeah. I don't know either. And, you know, you would think after all these lies after lies after after lies, like, at some point I feel like I would just recuse myself and be like, dude, I can't present you. I can't represent you. You are a liar and you're making my job exponentially more difficult. Right. And if you thought that your client was guilty or if they told you, yeah, I killed him, would you really, like, I don't know, I feel like it'd be against my moral code to go protect this person who did something and is a piece of crap person. Yeah, and I I get that, which the crazy thing is, is that, you know, a lawyer has a legal obligation to protect their clients. So even if they admit that they did it, but they want the lawyer to prove that they didn't, the lawyer can't come out and say, yeah, he admitted it to me. He did do it. insane. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. The summer of 2020 was a rough year for me. I was going through a lot and discovered some things about myself that I just was not expecting to find out, all thanks to just a random gift that somebody gave me, but it completely rocked my world. And I knew if I'm going to get through this, I'm going to need someone to help guide me through these uncharted waters. And that is where BetterHelp came in. I got to know my therapist and she got to know me. She helped me navigate through some really tough stuff and I learned so much about what I was truly capable of. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through some of the things that we've been through. 
BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suitable to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge if things aren't working out. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mama mystery to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash M-A-M-A mystery. So footage from the body cam of one of the responding officers showed Alec wiping his face with his shirt, but the officer testified that there were never actually any tears, but it also shows Alec in different clothing than he had been captured in earlier that day. See, there's another video from Paul's phone where Alec is seen in khakis, like khaki pants and a blue button up shirt, but in the body cam footage, he's wearing shorts and a white tee. And the clothing that he was in earlier that day was never found. So it's fair to say that he was wearing those clothes when he shot Paul and Maggie and then changed out of them and disposed of them somehow. There was also detailed information released about Paul and Maggie's phones and also Alex's um, OnStar data from his Suburban. And the gist of it just proves that the murder occurred around um, 8.50. That's what the state was alleging, that it occurred around 8.50 because that is when both Maggie and Paul's phones stopped, um, st- not stopped working, but were stopped being used. Yeah, tell, are you going to talk about what you did last night when you were telling me about the forensics with this phone lighting up? Yeah, so um, I will really quick, but I just want to point out that Maggie's phone was later found on the side of the road about a quarter of a mile from the property. And so really quick, when I do talk about that, I want to point out that her phone, anytime you pick up your phone, despite touching it or not, it lights up, right? Mm -hmm. If you have an iPhone, especially, you know this. And when you turn it from, you know, vertical to horizontal, it records that orientation, So when they extracted the data from Maggie's phone, they could see every time the backlight went on, every time it went off, and every time it changed orientation. At one point, um, the camera was attempted to be opened, and there's been different, uh, not testimony, but theories about this. One theory that was out was that somebody tried to unlock her phone and that the camera activated but didn't recognize the face. But then another expert testified that it was actually, you know, on your iPhone home screen, there's a camera button, and it was like somebody was trying to open up the camera. Like swiping into it. Swiping into the camera, yeah. Um, and then immediately closed out of it. Um, the, you know, I went through every minute, every millisecond of this because there's a 42-page document that was provided by SLED that details the forensics from the phones, okay? So I went through it. But honestly, the most telling thing, in my opinion, was the fact that her phone went off. The backlight was finally off for the last time at, I want to say, 907.00, at exactly 9.07. And then um, Alex OnStar Data recorded his Suburban leaving the property at 907.06. This made me nervous because I was afraid that it would create doubt in a juror that the phone had to have been thrown off the side of the road before he ever left the property because the phone was found about a quarter of a mile away. Mm -hmm. 
And if the phone was already there at 90700, but he didn't leave till 90706, I know it's a very close time frame, but I was just afraid that it would create enough doubt in a juror to say not guilty and mm-hmm. that it would result in a hung jury. So that was one piece that I was just really worried about. Um, but the but the phones, the backlights both stopped at 49. 849? Yeah, both phones. So they were, the backlight came on and off multiple times, but they both locked for the last time by like 849. So Maggie had read a message from uh, a group text and then locked her phone for the last time. I think it was at 849. And then, um, and I could be a little bit off. I don't have my notes right in front of me. But the point is it was right before the 850 when they estimate that it happened. Exactly. And then Paul, who is a prolific phone user, who was on his phone all the time, often let his battery die. And at this point it was at 2%. um, And it eventually died at about 10 o'clock that night. But his phone at the time, he was messaging with a friend about what movie she wanted to watch that night. Her name is Megan. He was texting with Megan, um, recommending A Star is Born as a movie that she should watch. And she responded saying something like, I don't want to watch a sad movie. And he read the message, locked his phone for the last time at about 8.49 also. And what time was the Snapchat video that put Murdoch there? Yeah, it was about 8.45, 8.46 that that video was taken. So it's just the timeline's perfect. Yeah. And so not only that, but... Obviously, it places Alec at the scene when he vehemently said that he wasn't. Mm -hmm. So um, another piece of the OnStar data that I thought was interesting was that it tracked the speed of the Suburban that Alec drove that night, and it showed him driving about 42 miles per hour right past the exact spot where Maggie's phone was later found. And then the second he passes that spot, he accelerates to up to 52 miles per hour. So the allegation is that he um, threw the phone at that moment. And, you know, some experts even testified that sometimes you can, like, throw your phone across the room and it won't light up. Like, I just now threw my phone and it Mm -hmm. didn't light up. So just with that, I just now threw my phone on the ground. It did not light up. So, you know, maybe the backlight turned off right as he got into the Suburban and then he left in the Suburban and threw her phone and it just never lit up whenever he threw it. Interesting. So That stuff I thought was really interesting, though. I think it's really interesting, too. I just wish so bad that the iPhone could have recorded pinpoint locations of exactly where it was because there's, like, conjecture about the steps. You know, the phone was recording steps, but the steps didn't exactly align with Alex's steps. But I don't know. I don't even want to talk about that because it just gets confusing. And, you know, who's to say he was holding one phone and not the other? But And he's guilty. So. And it's, he's guilty either way. Um, So now, earlier in the day, on June 7th, the day that they were murdered, Maggie texted a friend that Alec was acting fishy and asking her to come to the Moselle property. Now, remember, she was living, I think, at uh, Edisto or some some other beach house, okay? So she wasn't there. Her sister testified to this, saying that she encouraged Maggie to go because she knew that Alec's dad was gravely ill and that she should go be there for him. And she got really emotional on the stand talking about this because she she practically encouraged Maggie to go to the Moselle property, and then she died. And so, so I'm sure she feels, feels a lot of guilt. Yeah. So um, fast forward to the trial again. The fa- on February 6th, Shelly Smith testified about the night of the murders. Now, Shelly was taking care of Alec's mom at the time. And she said that he did, in fact, visit his mom that night for about 15 to 20 minutes but that he instructed her to say that if anybody asked, he was there for 30 to 40 minutes. No way. That's incriminating right there. Mm -hmm. He also mentioned knowing that she had a wedding coming up. 
and that uh, he would help pay for it. So it's like he didn't directly say it, but was like, you know, in a roundabout way saying like, you help me, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Um, you tell people this, I'll pay for your wedding or give you money for your wedding or whatever. Did he get a um, question about that on the trial? Oh, I'm sure he did. I can't remember exactly what his response was, but Shelly testified to it. And she got really upset because she cared a lot about that family. She felt like they were good people, but she also just knew something was wrong. She also testified that nine days after the murders took place, Alec snuck over at like 6 or 6.30 in the morning and carried in a blue, it looked like a blue tarp, and hid it in a closet at his mom's house and then left. Well, she let investigators know, so they got a search warrant on the house. They found a blue rain jacket with the same type of like vinyl material that you would see probably in a tarp. It's similar, mm-hmm. but they also found a tarp. Now, the thing about this blue jacket is that on the inside of the jacket, there were tons of gunshot residue particles. No way. And one of the forensic scientists testified that it was enough to suggest that a gun, a recently fired gun had been wrapped up in the jacket, but the guns were never found. Oh my goodness. So that blue jacket, I think was a really damning piece of testimony or evidence also. You, did you, I I keep asking tons of questions. Did he say anything in regard to the jacket? I don't know, actually. I'm just curious. I like little minute details. I just am trying to imagine how somebody is bullshitting their way through this. Mm Mm-hmm. I saw today that O.J. Simpson said that, or yesterday, he said that he thought Alec Murdaugh was guilty. Did you see that? I I cannot stand O.J. Simpson. And the fact that he interjects himself in these murder trials all the time. Yeah, like, it's like, takes one to know one, dude. Yeah. What are you doing? O.J. could listen to this. O.J., you're a hell of a ball player, but... You're also a murderer. Guilty or not, he's guilty in the public opinion. So we're, we're moving on. Don't get me fired we're up. We're moving on. <laughs> On February 8th of the trial, Gene Seckinger, Seckinger, the CFO of the law firm where Alec was working, testified that she had confronted Alec about stealing more than $2.8 million from the law firm on the same day that Maggie and Paul were shot. No. So Can you he, imagine how that confrontation would go? No. But also, it gives you an idea of what if his motive would be. Mm-hmm. Everything's Crumbling. The house of cards is crumbling. He just got confronted by the CFO that $2.8 million is missing, and they think he's the reason why. Mm -hmm. And so, in my opinion, I feel like it paints this motive that he wanted to distract from what was impending, which were all these financial crimes coming to light, and that maybe they would back off if they felt sorry for him that his his wife and son died. Mm -hmm. Do you think he was drugged out of his mind when he shot them? I do. Okay, because I was going to say, I don't know how you could, I mean, unless you just truly don't have a conscious. Is a conscious the correct word? <laughs> oh, geez. We just got a review about this. Is that the correct word? We just got a four-star review because you accidentally said conscious instead of conscience. Conscience. Well, I don't really give a shit, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, we know what you mean. Yeah, so conscience. Yeah, do, do what, say, what's the just, question? Did he just not have a con- – I mean, I think it's hard to imagine just not having a conscience and being able to shoot your family. Yeah. So, like, to me, to be drugged out of your mind, like, that's the only way he could – Yeah. Unless he's just a really not a good, like, I don't know. I think it's possibly a mixture of both. I think he's already not a good guy. He's morally corrupt. He will put anyone under the bus to protect himself because mm-hmm. he loves mm-hmm. himself the most. But I think also that paired with being under the influence of opioids that – 
it created a monster. And I'll address this later because the judge addressed it also. And I have quotes from the judge that I think are very important. Um, so now on February 23rd of the trial, Alec took, took the stand to testify in his own defense and admitted that he had lied about his whereabouts that night and that it was his voice in the Snapchat video. And when he asked why he lied, he said, quote, what a tangled web we weave, end quote. And he elaborated that once he lied or told a lie, he just had to keep lying and that much of it was triggered by his paranoia, which was caused by his addiction. So all of it was like, yeah, I lied. I lied. I lied. I'm sorry about that. I did lie. I'm sorry about that. But there was never really any true reason other than that he was lying because he was an addict and... Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he's not going to say, I lied because I didn't want to get caught in the murders of my wife and child. Mm-hmm. So no matter what he says, it's just another lie. So yesterday was March 2nd, and the attorneys for both sides concluded their closing arguments, handing the case over to the jury for deliberation. Now, I will admit I was nervous because of multiple reasons, and I thought that this would end up being a hung jury. So... You know, one of the mention, one of the reasons I mentioned earlier was, you know, the doubt that may have been created by the cell phone usage and that information. Um, I also was worried because, you know, this trial was only expected to last about three weeks, but it lasted six. And I'm sure jurors were fed up with being there and tired of being there. Um, and also just from my own personal experience of being a juror on a jury, I was on a much shorter, low pri- low profile trial. And um, by the end of it, first of all, you're not allowed to talk to even the fellow jurors about the case. You can't talk to anybody about it. And so by the time we finally got back into that jury room to deliberate, nobody knew where anybody stood. And in our in this particular case, which mine was the one I was a juror on was just an insurance claim. Like it was a simple case relatively. Mm-hmm. And um, there were 12 jurors, nine of them had to agree on a verdict in order for us to be done. And at one point we had eight, seven or eight people who agreed and four or five who didn't. And, um, I felt like there were some really stubborn people who were not going to change their mind and they were going to just like wait it out or consider it a hung trial or mistrial or whatever, hung Mm -hmm. jury. And so I was afraid that a case this high profile with this much evidence, six weeks worth of evidence and testimonies and witnesses there was surely going to be somebody to hang it up, right? Well, the jury deliberated for less than three hours before coming back with a verdict of guilty on all four counts. I still get the chills because I just was not expecting it to happen, let alone in less than three hours. Mm -hmm. Initially, nine jurors were convinced that he was guilty. Two were prepared to vote not guilty and one was undecided. But this had to be, because it was a murder trial, it had to be a unanimous verdict. Everybody had to agree. Um, Which is wild to me. Yeah. Like everybody can't agree on anything in the world. Yeah. That's a good point. It's crazy. We got to all agree to call this person a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Less than three hours in, they were offered dinner. One of the jurors did an interview with ABC, so this is how I know this. But less than three hours in, they were offered dinner if they were planning on staying all night. Um, Even the judge said, like, we can go through the weekend if we have to. But just a couple hours in, they're offered dinner. Um, If they were planning on staying longer, one of the jurors was like, no, just give us about 10 more minutes. We're almost done. Wow. I mean, 
they were... They were all but there. Yeah. Yeah. So in a press conference after the verdicts were read, Creighton Waters, who was the lead prosecutor on the case, said, quote, Alec Murdoch tried one last con to prevent the accountability he has never had to face in his life. But the jury saw through that and properly found he murdered his wife and son in cold blood, end quote. Which I think is, um, I, I love that they bring that up, that you know, one last con to prevent the accountability that he's never had to face in his life. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that at the beginning of this, people were probably worried that the Murdochs were just going to get away with yet another crime because of the power that they held. Mm-hmm. But this is finally the the statue that has fallen. You know, I picture this like dictatorship and the Murdochs are the dictator, right? And there's like a statue of the Murdochs. And I just picture that the second it was read guilty, 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 that statue just came crumbling down and all the people of Hampton County are finally free of this corruption in the legal system. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of like the way Metaphor. that I viewed it. I like it, yeah. So this morning, Judge Clifton Newman sentenced Alec to two consecutive life sentences after he said, quote, in this case, it qualifies under our death penalty statute based on the statutory aggravating circumstances of two or more people being murdered by the defendant by one act or pursuant to one scheme or one course of conduct. I don't question at all the decision of the state not to pursue the death penalty, but as I sit here in the courtroom and look around at the many portraits of judges and other court officials and reflect on the fact that over the past century, your family, including you, have been prosecuting people in this courtroom, and many have received the death penalty, probably for lesser conduct. Oh, man. I got the goosebumps. Yeah. He said, remind me of the expression you gave on the witness stand. Oh, what the tangled web we weave. What did you mean by that? And Alec replied, I meant that when I lied, I continued to lie. And the judge responded, and the question is, when will it end? When will it end? And it has ended already for the jury because they've concluded that you continue to lie and lied throughout your testimony. At one point, Alec interjected and said, quote, I will tell you again that I respect this court. I am innocent. I would never under any circumstances hurt my wife, Maggie, and I would never under any circumstances hurt my son, Papa, end quote. Unreal. The judge responded, quote, and it might not have been you. It might have been the monster that you have become when you take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opioid pills, and maybe you become another person. I have seen that before. The person standing before me is not the person who committed the crime, though it is the same individual, and we'll leave it at that. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. You know, I also want to point out that... Paul has been under a lot of scrutiny because of his behavior and his actions in the boat crash. And it has been widely known that Paul has this alter ego named Timmy, that when he drinks too much, he becomes Timmy and he's uncontrollable. And who's to say he didn't get that from his own dad. Mm-hmm. And so is, is like Buster's obviously his favorite kid. And we saw in the documentary he's calling Buster from from prison or the jail or whatever. And so did has anything came up from him? 
No. Um, he, during the trial, he was, he was reprimanded because he had one of the front row seats in the pews, but he was caught giving the middle finger to an attorney that was testifying against his dad, but he was pretending like he was just biting his nails that he was doing it like this. Like a, like a 14 year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he was forced to move back like a few uh, rows and um, he did testify for his dad and, you know, alleged that his dad was really upset and destroyed by the shootings. Um, but, you know, after they read the verdict of guilty, Paul or Alec was handcuffed. He was turned around and handcuffed. And then he was turned back around and led out of the courtroom. As he was led out of the courtroom, he never looked back to say or look any direction towards Buster. However... After the fact, somebody who was in the audience um, alleges that Alec mouthed the words, I'm sorry, I love you, to Buster. But you just, you don't see that. And maybe it happened when he was turned around and getting the handcuffs placed. Mm -hmm. But I never saw it, so I'm not going to say that it happened or or didn't because he's a dirtbag. So I'm not going to speak on that. But um, at the sentencing, he was let out of the court again with Buster sitting in the back who just learned that his dad's sentence is two consecutive life sentences. And again, he didn't turn back and look or acknowledge Buster at all. I think it was crazy in the documentary when you hear him get on the phone with Buster and he says, is Netflix doing something on us? Mm-hmm. It's just like, just like I don't know, it's a little bit creepy. Yeah. Um, the very last frame of the Netflix docu- documentary is him getting a phone call from Buster and he's like, Bus, I meant to ask you, is Netflix putting out something on all this? Yeah. And then it just cuts to the credits. Oh, it's freaking nuts. <clears throat> so I talked to you about this last night, but I'll say it on here. I just think it's insane. You have all these generations before him that, you know, maybe some of them were doing some wrongful stuff like him, but probably a lot were doing good things, you know, like to think. Mm-hmm. So you have all these generations of men who have built this, right? Mm-hmm. And women alongside them and family that is just set this legacy and they had so much power. Mm-hmm. And this one guy seemingly this by himself seed. crashed it all down, ruining a century of good for his family and will ruin the future of forever in that that small community and county for the Murdoch name. Mm-hmm. I mean his 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 kids, 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 if they're around there, it will be, oh my God, that's the Murdoch. For generations, people are going to say, do you, do you know about the Murdochs? Oh yeah, the Murdoch stuff that happened back in 2020s, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and two, in the year 3000, they'll talk about the 2020s whenever, whenever this all happened, you know? Yeah. Now I do want to point out that I don't know that the Murdochs have always only been known for good or that they built this empire based on good faith because there have been reports about the fact that in a small con- or in a small town, especially in, like in the low country, you know, your last name gets you places, right? Mm-hmm. And that there may not be a such thing as like gang activity, but your last name definitely means something. Right. And so you can get away with a lot more if your name, if your last name is Murdoch, or you have a lot more influence politically or judici- judicially based on your last name. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to, you know, claim that he was the only bad seed, right. but it definitely seems like he is the bad seed that brought it all crashing down. Let and me... it sucks for the future generations because even his brothers, Randy and John Marvin, his and he has a sister too, but 
you know, anyone who is related to him is now guilty by association, and that name is tarnished forever. Mm-hmm. Forever. And not in year 3000, year 2100, my bad. What? <laughs> I said earlier, year 3000, they're going to look back oh, and I didn't know what even went care. down in the 2020s. I meant year 2100. I mean, they probably you know, in year 3000, <laughs> I don't know that they'll know no damn thing about this, but. You never know. Um, what happened in 47 BC? All right, enough. So the lead prosecutor, Creighton Waters, said at a news conference, quote, let this be a warning. No matter who you are, if you break the law, the truth will come out and you will be brought to justice, end quote. And I thought that was so great to end with, but I'm going to end with something even better. And this is an audio clip of Alec Murdoch in a promotional video for the law firm for which he was working. Mm. And I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Best storyteller in the world cannot relay with full effect the way a video can. And I'm sold on it. And I'm sold on it, he Uh, says. So this video and then Snapchat video is what got you. Yeah, the irony. I love to see it. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.